I'm Jonathan Polevsky, and it's my pleasure to interview Manuel Barueco for these podcasts. Let's talk a bit about Solo Piazzolla. First off, uh, why the title? It was just a play, I guess, on solo, like only in Spanish, and solo as only you know, solo guitar. Later, I've been concerned that maybe people might think that it's Astros Piazzolla as like Long Lost Brother or something, you know, Solo Piazzolla. <laughs> I like that, actually. <laughs> like Han Solo, yeah, Solo Piazzolla. Uh, did you know him? I met him, and I hate to tell you that I had no idea who this man was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew the name of Piazzolla. I had heard a couple of things, but I had no idea the magnitude of who this man was. I met him in Belgium, in Liège. It was a, uh, a guitar festival over there. It was the premiere of his double concerto for bandoneon and guitar and orchestra. No. Oh. You know, so I, I saw him play it there, and, and I was sitting next to him later having some coffee or something. And Who was the guitarist? The guitarist, was his name was Cacho Tirao. Uh-huh. Really good, you know, Argentinian player, but I think he plays more in the tango. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, I think it was Leo Brower, the conductor. But it, it was really a nice experience also. I only wish I had knew. And you were kind of a young and up-and-coming player just That was a name that I didn't know much about, mm -hmm. you know? So he did write some stuff for solo guitar, right? right. Uh, he wrote he wrote a set of five pieces. Right. The thing that I really like on this recording are the tango etudes, which are written for solo flute. Right. It sort of reminded me of what you have done and what other guitarists have done with Bach suites. Basically, they right. take something that's for solo violin and to fill out the harmonies. What was the process like with Piazzolla? Was it similar to Bach or on my way off? No, I think I think that's exactly what it was. I think he was trying to imagine. Really, what well, with the right accompaniment for this, uh, or a nice accompaniment for this melody is written for uh, for the flute. No, so you draw on your experience. I haven't listened to to a lot of Piazzolla, by trying to click somehow. If, if one of them reminds you of a piece that you heard before, and so on, you know, and that's how I do it. I mean, I think at, at the end, I consider it successful if one cannot tell if it was written by Piazzolla himself or not, and if I have that sense that it, it may have been written by Piazzolla, then I, I feel like I've done it. You know, but sometimes it's not as easy as it sounds. I and mean, even with Bach, because I don't know if, if you ever looked at it in reverse. For example, in some of the solo violin things, I'm thinking, for example, in the opening of the C major sonata, then you see then the keyboard version that he made of it. And if Bach had been my student and made that arrangement, I would tell him, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You know, that's not how it goes. There are some things, some harmonies in there. And say, you know, what was he thinking, you know? Because also, I think we forget that this is also a creative process, that, that it's not math, it's not science, it's not arithmetic where you sit down with certain formulas and we'll tell you what the accompaniment is. It's that creative part that you, you write something because you like it. For us, if we think of baroque music or work with baroque music, we might read about it, try to understand the style. For them, that, that this was their music. They need to think about it. This is what they did, you know? So with Piazzolla, is, is something similar, something trying to make it sound good. Also, I have to say, try not to trespass a certain point. I mean, I don't want to run into Piazzolla at some point and for him to ask me, why the hell do you do that? I do approach it with respect in the sense that if he was here, I could show it to him and he would see that I'm really trying to do the best that I can. By that, what I mean is that I don't think I go beyond more than what is necessary and I don't try to be fancy or personal. I am not trying to be personal. I'm just trying to make it sound as good as I can make it and sound it as much like Piazzolla as I can. Would you but publish them? Yeah. I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going to, I, I think it is. It's just, there's some complication, you know, because of... Uh, Copyright? Yeah, stuff like uh -huh. that. But I think that's being worked on. I have to tell you that somebody who was a huge influence uh, on me was uh, Gustav Leonhardt, the, the harpsichord. 
and I've gone through a lot of different phases, you know, in how to arrange, for example, bass on the guitar. The thing about Leonhard, I mean, he was, he's obviously very free in the style, and sometimes he would arrange, you know, things, and he's done plenty of arrangements, all the violin, all the cello, everything, very personal arrangements. And for a while, I, I did some of that. For example, when, when I did the record of Bach and the Bisset, mm -hmm. the Bach arrangement, it was, I went beyond what was necessary. But now I don't do it that way anymore. Now my goal is that it sounds like it may have been written by the composer himself, not like what maybe a player from that time may have done to the piece. But also, if I can just keep expanding on that, you know, it also depends on what the piece is. I forget who he was. I don't know if he was Rubinstein or said something like the way he would interpret a piece of music, depending on whether it was well-known to the public or not, would, would be different. Ah, interesting. That interesting. if it was not mm -hmm. so well-known, that he may, might be more likely to exaggerate the gestures. But if the, the piece is really well-known, then maybe not. So yeah. Divise, you could be much more freer than maybe the Chacon. Also, I think if the pieces are really well-known, I don't know if this is exactly how you meant it, but it's really well known, then I think there is more room for freedom. Mm -hmm. Because it's already the people really know it well, ah. and you can then, you know, I don't think you're going to really to alter the perception of the piece. I think. I think also sometimes the altering of arrangements happens with how many times a composer has played something in performance. Uh, I th I think it's more of a jazz thing in some ways, but I think performers just get tired of playing things the same way and they reinterpret. But that's more an issue with their own music, I think, in some ways. I guess not. it depends also on the uh, the composers. I mean, with the jazz people, it seems to be a no to play the same way. Again. Yeah, twice. You know, twice in a row. I mean, right. that, that seems to be like a sacrilege. And I think they do it to annoy audiences, too, who want to hear it the old way. Or I those think. that are playing with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that you know, that well, also just... Going back to LMEO, I mean, when we played together, you know, I mean, I swear, like, sometimes, you know, he was intentionally trying to confuse me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't take much anyway, so... <laughs> What is the Manuel Barueco collection, and how does this relate to Solo Piazzolla? Well, the collection is just it's just these private, personal you know recordings that I've made, and then we're going to begin to release them, and that's what. How many have you done? About how many CDs? I probably have uh, maybe about five or so. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least that amount of time, you know. You recorded two of the four seasons, right? right? Uh, tell me a bit about those. Well, not much to say. <laughs> I think they're beautiful, and they're more the they're more the typical piazzola. Because one thing nice in this record is that the three sets, let's say these two and the five pieces and and the eight, so they're they're really quite different one from the other. But this is for the hardcore, you know, piazzola fans. This, this is the, this is the really, you know, lyrical piazzola, and it, it's actually based on an arrangement by Sergio Assad. You know, he arranged him, and you know, and then I started changing things and. So it's no longer just his, and it's not mine either, so somewhere in between. The three of you. The uh, three of us. Sergio Assad, uh, you, and uh, Piazzolla, basically. Oh. Um, what happens next in the recording world for you? Well, the next thing uh, we're going to put out is, is a recording with actually more Piazzolla. But at this time, it's going to be with a with string quartet. It's a piece called, I don't, I don't know if, if you know, it's called Tango Sensations. Mm-hmm. And actually, I love the piece. It's, it's, it's originally for Bandoneon and, and String Quartet. The Piazzolla played with the Kronos Quartet. So I made an arrangement of the Bandoneon part for guitar. And I, I love it because it's all about, I guess, sensations. And it's about one is loving, one is fear, one is also awakening, anxiety. Of the uh, typical Piazzolla, there's also La, La, La Muerte del Angel and the uh, Milonga del Angel. Mm -hmm. And also Libertango. Mm-hmm. 
you know, which turned out to be a really nice arrangement of it. And and to finish the record, there's also a quintet by Guastavino, Jeromita mm-hmm. Linares. We haven't talked about your collaborators with this, and, and I'm really intrigued by the fact that you're collaborating with three brothers and a violist. So you're entering into, at the best of times when you work with a string quartet, you're entering into a family, but now you're entering into a family, which is really a family, uh, which I think is really kind of interesting. And I'm wondering, how did that work? What was it like to start to work with people who, number one, ha- work together all the time, number two, grew up together? Mm. Well, they seem very independent. You know, actually, they, they have three distinct personalities. Although at the same time, there are obviously some common characteristics between them. No, you know, it hasn't been an issue. I and mean, when I see them working, even with a violist who's not one of their brothers, I mean, it seems very fair, you know, the, the way they, they deal with each other. You know, it's been interesting to mm-hmm. work with them. You know, they also have a lot of history. They've done a lot of things. A couple of them were actually born in Chile. Obviously, they have taken different roads. The wife of one of them is from Chile. The other one is Mexican. The other one is Israel. And... And they lived in different places, so it's interesting to work with them and you know, see all this. I, I always, actually, I have to say, I always find it interesting to work with people for that reason as well, just just to see what people are about and what makes them tick. You know, I found them very bright. Like yeah. uh, the one, these are very smart people, musical, cultured, yeah. well informed. I mean, you could talk about anything yeah. from politics to music to, and that's got to make for a much more interesting relationship than, uh, you know, oh, Manuel, I can play scales at 195 uh, beats per second, you know. Oh, of course, yeah. this, this must really make making music uh, a real pleasure with them. Of course it is. Their company, the conversation, to be with them, you know, to experience their art is really interesting. And it's funny that you say that because that's also what I tell the students, that at the end, things need to be interesting, you know. I told a couple of students just to play fast. It's not really interesting. It can be a lot of fun. You know, if you get on the stage and, you know, and you tell the, your audience, see how fast I can run from here to here, you go, and say, okay, now watch me again. I'm going to run really fast, you know, you know, and then the other way. But how many times can you take that? I mean, I also tell them, by the way, if you have something, you know, flaunted. I mean, if you have really great technique, I mean, by all means, sure, choose the right place, choose the right repertoire, you know. Don't do it with Bach, you know, don't do it with, you know, any great music. Find some showy piece and, and do it then. But, yeah, it needs to be interesting, and they are. You uh, traveled a lot together, and uh, there were some interesting uh, travel arrangements uh, that happened, which I think it would be interesting for people to know, sort of, sometimes, especially with flights, international bookings, etc., things don't always go as planned. So I have to ask you about what happened in Turkey. Well, it's really what happened in Austria, you know, because we were going from Vienna to Ankara. And then, I, I don't know how this came up, that the, one of the agents for Austrian Air came over uh, to us, and obviously there was a problem. And the problem was that three of them have Mexican passports. And uh, a visa was required to, to enter Turkey. To make a long story short, finally, when we were allowed to go, we finally arrived in the concert hall in an hour and a half late. I mean, we called the organizers and told them what was going on. We had to go through Istanbul because there were no other flights that would go directly into, into Ankara. There were problems with immigration there as well. Everything was just delayed and delayed and delayed. And, and we made it an hour and a half without suitcases, you know. So we basically went in jeans and and played the concert. And, and actually, it turned out to be a nice audience. And went back to the hotel, slept two hours, and and left for the next place, you know. And in that sense, it was it was pretty hard. Do you like life on the road? You've been doing it for, uh, what, since the 
70s. Yeah, I, th I think if it's done correctly, I think if you have a day to travel, so there's no problem. And I think if you can take your instrument with you on the airplane and not wonder whether it's going to arrive or not, I think if, uh, if you can fly business class, I think if you can stay in a nice hotel, I think if you can go to a nice city and then go to a nice restaurant and do nice things, it's not bad. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Unfortunately, it doesn't. A lot of people, actually, I find that, that I've toured with, they just want to do things back to back. They just want to get back home. There's a lot of get up, you know, fly, arrive, you know, play. But under those conditions that I mentioned, I think it can be really fun to do it. Did they ever lose your guitar? When I travel, I plan ahead of what I do. And to this day, it's never happened that the guitar hasn't arrived. It almost happened one time. I mean, sometimes it hasn't arrived, but then it arrives normally in the next flight. And to make it clear, I mean, I, sometimes I pay for a ticket. For example, in, in all these tours with them, I mean, I, I was buying a ticket for the guitar in every flight. There was no room for error or for the guitar to arrive. It needed to be there. But this one time in, in Athens, in Greece, I actually got the guitar an hour before the concert. And that was, that was scary. That was scary. Did they ever damage it? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I think the biggest damage was with the diamond one time. Though. And I actually didn't even notice when I, when I opened the guitar. It's only when I played it that I realized there was a displacement. There had been a crack on the, the arm of the mm -hmm. fungiboard, you know. Just by looking at it, I didn't even realize it. There have been times, I remember one time arriving in, into London, and I checked the guitar, and I see the, I saw the guitar coming into the, the conveyor belt with a piece of wood hanging outside of it, and I thought, oh, that was it. But it wasn't the guitar. Obviously, something got stuck in it or something else, you know.